0: So uh, let's pray. Let's pray uh, to go into God's word. All right. Thank you so much, Lord, because you are so good. And we are thankful for your love, your mercy that allow us to be here before you, Lord. We are thankful for being able to worship your name and uh, have that privilege, Lord. And we are uh, thankful for being able to listen to your word now. We want to pray that you can speak to our heart, that it be you speaking to us, Lord. And uh, thank you again for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, we're gonna go to Romans three, and I hope we can finish the chapter. Um, I think that we will. Um, but before we go to start reading, uh, let's let's uh, get all to the same page. Uh, I just want to remind you that most of the letters of Paul to the churches are have a list and a list, a list because there are many reasons why he wrote to the churches, as to unify the church uh, that he's writing to. Um, also, because each church have their own issues, as you probably know, we are still you know each church here also has their own issues. Paul is writing to these churches so they can so he can help to solve those issues with the, with the goal of unify the church so they can all get on the same page and obviously that that uh, focus could be in the gospel that the, that could be the thing that the churches' focus. Um, Rome specifically, was a very interesting situation because they also were in a very particular place in the map. We learn later, we're going to learn in chapter 15 that Paul was, he already had in mind to go to Spain. So if you look at the map, Rome is right there, right? It could be a good church to support the mission trip later. So it was important that Rome also were united and the same page and they can be focused on the gospel as well. We have learned in chapter 1 and chapter 2 that Paul started analyzing humanity, pretty much. And he started with the Gentiles. He started at the end of chapter 1. He started speaking about the Gentiles. And he said that nobody has excuse. Everybody's responsible for their actions. And they're all sinful. And they're all guilty. And then we learned at the beginning of chapter 2 that he talked a little bit about the good people, the people that act good, that are morally right, and morally good. And then he said, "You guys, you guys also are messed up. You guys are also guilty. You have the same problem that the Gentiles. And then also, now last week we learned that he started analyzing the Jews. And we come up with the same conclusion. You guys also have your issues. You're also guilty. And you, you also need to answer for those um, actions. So we're going to continue that idea. Um, We know that Paul, he was a Jew. We learned in Philippians uh, that he was a Jew. He's declared himself the Hebrew. Hebrew, he was a Pharisee. So he knows who he's talking. He knows his audience. He knows exactly what the people are thinking when he is preaching to them. Uh, And he, we learned last week that he started speaking and talking. This mic really messed me up here. I wish I could use my hands more. It's for my sake, really, so I can move more. But, um. He started speaking about circumcision and how this worked with uh, with the law, and um, because a lot of people thought because they were circumcised they were good to go, that you know that they were saved and it's nothing to worry about. But Paul is saying no, there's no point that you are circumcised if you are breaking the law, or you are doing whatever you want. Circumcision was a symbol for the Israel people um, to, to say that they were from that tribe, from uh, from that people. So every people from Israel, or you know every every man of that uh, the people of God, the Israel, they need to circumcise. It was a symbol. If you're from Israel, you need to get circumcised. And he's saying, what is the point that you're telling me that you are circumcised is you are doing whatever you want. That, that's not the way it works. It's not just physically. You need to be circumcised in your spirit. It's kind of like the idea if I go and get baptized today before of you and I say I believe in the Lord Jesus, and then I go up there and I do whatever I feel like it, and I don't act uh, like a children of God. That's, that's the same idea, a child of God. So Paul is talking to them um, in, that, in that tone, and we learned that last week. So we're taking from that, from that text. So we're going to start in verse 1, chapter 3, and we're going to go verse by verse, uh, sometimes more than one or two verses. So verse 1 and 2. Then what adventure has the Jew, or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles, of God. We're going to start right there. We're going to little by little, okay? There's a lot of information in here. It was a lot of fun to study this chapter. Um, but the first, the first thing that um, I want to say, you know, again, so we are on the same page. We already learned that everybody is under the same roof. We are all guilty. We all have the same issue. We are all sinners. Nobody is excluded from that. We're all the same. And we are all fall short uh, before our Lord. Um, so we have here the first question that the, a Jew will do, okay? You tell us that we're all the same, right? But the Lord choose us. We are the chosen people. So what do we have? If you tell that we're all the same, what do we have uh, that is special about us? You're putting us all in the same box. It has got to be something special about us. What, uh, then what adventure has the Jew? That's the question. And the word adventures here is the idea of that they have something more, greater than, the other nations and the other people uh so the question is like what we have that the other nations don't um and he said well just to start the conversation let's start with uh, you guys have the torah you guys have the instruction of god the, the 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 word uh the information the promises you guys have the truth that's pretty much what he's saying um and this is not just important for them, but it's also important for us. And and this was really cool for me to think about it, because I used to be one of the people that didn't put much attention in what Israel means. I didn't. It, it's not like I didn't care about Israel, but it, neither I put the attention that they actually should have for my part. And the truth is this: if if God, if it wasn't true that God has a purpose and a special plan for Israel, then the church has a problem. It's in trouble. Because all the promises that we are getting is for the promises that he gives to Israel. That's where we get our Messiah. So we had to accept and we had to recognize and bless the Lord for that special people that he chose, the Israel people. And then we go into, we got to move a little here. Then we go into this, um, some sort of a reflection that, that Paul started doing. And he had three questions, conditional questions that he had, the if. What if? So he starts thinking and making this philosophical reflection, if you will, thinking, what if this situation, we're going to have three questions in here. And most likely these were questions that he knew that the people were going to ask, they were wondering about. The first question is, verse 3 and 4. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. It is written that you may be justifying your words and prevail when you are judged. What if some were unfaithful? Who the Israel people, the Jews? What if? Uh, okay, I know that they are the chosen people, but what happened? They 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 were not good. They were not faithful, and we know that. We read that they were, you know, worshiping idols. They were all over the all over the place. So we know that it's true. They were unfaithful. Okay, so that mean said so the, the question. Does that mean? ...that their faithfulness nullified the faithful, faithfulness of God? And the answer is no. And why not? Because the faithfulness of God doesn't rest in the action of the people. God is faithful, period. It doesn't change if I'm faithful or you are faithful. God is always going to be faithful. And that's the amazing part of our God. He doesn't change. He doesn't, it doesn't change because the Israel people fail. It doesn't change when the church fails. He is always faithful. And that should not bring a lot of rest to my heart, because I know myself, and I know that we are not perfect. And it's so amazing to think that his promises, that are still going to be fulfilled, not because of me, just because of him, for who he is. And this is pretty cool. It's interesting that Paul doesn't answer either this question with his own opinion. If you look at it, he could give his own opinion about it, and he could go like very crazy and very deep, but he go to the Torah. Again, he goes to the Word. They couldn't argue with the Word because the Pharisees were crazy about the Word, and they thought that they knew everything about the Torah and the instruction. So that's where he goes. That's where Paul goes. And he goes to Psalm 51, 3 and 4. That's what he answered with. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Excuse me. So Paul goes to that, that particular psalm and he brings it up to answer them. And we see that David is recognizing his unfaithfulness and how messed up he is. He recognized his sin. And so now he has his condition before God's condition. My sinful condition before his holiness. And he says, Well, it seems like it's only one way here. The only one can judge the other is the one that is holy, not the one that is down here. So it makes sense that this holy God is judging humanity. So that's, that's the first question. But also, as I said before, something else that makes me think about it is that I'm so happy that his faithfulness and his promise rest in my God and not in me and what I do. It's, it's, it should be something that we are grateful for. He always remained faithful. Amen for that? All right. The second question is in verse 5 and 6. The second question, but if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what should we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means. For then, how could God judge the world? Does God need our righteousness to show his righteousness? That's the question. No, it doesn't need our righteousness to show his righteousness, right? Now, before we we get into this, uh, the 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 detail that uh, Paul leave in there at the end of verse 5, I speak in a human way, okay? These are questions that we will ask, right, as humans, and we come back with this question. I'm sure that I did those kind of questions before, and Pastor Dave asked one of those questions last that he heard in the youth group, apparently. They make me laugh. Can God make a burrito so big that he cannot eat it himself, kind of thing, right? We, we try to kind of go around and see if we can find the... I don't know how to explain it, like can we find where God fell or where the Word fell and those kind of tricky questions. Because um, those are questions our, our, our mind, our sinful mind want to ask to see if we can find uh, a way in and try to feel better about our sinful nature or whatever is the reason. I'm not even sure why we ask those kind of questions. And this question really took a lot of my time because I, I, I went Pretty deep. I went a little bit too far, to be honest. And Holly saw me struggling with the question, and she said, What's going on? I was like, I don't know. It, if I read the question, it kind of make, make you wonder, right? It kind of make you wonder. Like, if, if I want to see God's righteousness, you need unrighteousness. And so it kind of, I, I was there and I was writing explanation, and I keep writing page after I page. I wrote a page and a half trying to explain it, and then I was like, This is ridiculous. I cannot, I, I can't even explain it yet. So Holly said, Maybe it's simpler than the one you're trying to do and then she just left wisely and then i start <laughs> and then i start thinking about it it's like you know what it makes sense maybe it's not that complicated so this is what i have for you hopefully it will help you too if you struggle with this kind of questions or not the question that came to my mind is had god always been just and righteous or he only was and became righteous when unrighteousness came Meaning, before the sin, before the man fell, before sin came to the world, before that, was God righteous? Yes, He was righteous. He was just. Before that, then we have the whole mess that we make over here in the earth, right? Sinful. He remained just and righteous. And then when the Lord comes and everything comes back to normal, He will still will be just and righteous. So. And it was so much simple, right? So God doesn't need right, unrighteousness to be righteous. He's always righteous. doesn't matter what we do or what we don't do. He was, he is, and he will be. So he doesn't need unrighteousness. And I was like, eh, my wife is smart. She just leave me with that, and she just laughed. And the Lord thankfully answered that question too. Um, it's because of my sinful nature that I can see the righteousness now. That, that righteousness become visible. Now, I can look at that righteousness and I'm like, man, I'm so dirty. I'm so unclean. That it's so easy to see how holy he is, how righteous he is, how just he is. It's because of my condition that now I can see that. Um, but it's not because it changed or it's not because God needs unrighteousness. It's just because who I am is that now I can see his righteousness. And again, and that made him the only qualified to judge me and just you and my and judge the humanity because he is righteous let's keep moving question uh, number three seven and eight verse seven and eight but if through my life god's truth abundance to his glory why am i still being condemned as a sinner and why not do evil that good may come as some people slanderously charge us with saying the condemnation is just well we have something similar than before right those tricky questions well so we need bad so we can see good. We need evil so we can see, you know, goodness. Those kind of questions that are tricky questions. But we go to the same thing. God doesn't need anything to be good. He's always been good. He's always been just. He's always been righteous. He's always been merciful. He doesn't change. It's not that like he have, he has have more or less. No, he's always the same. We see more. We see less. But he doesn't change. And that's the beauty of our God, that, that we know who he is and he's never going to change. Um. Let me get myself here where, where I got uh, lost. And so we see Paul is interesting because he doesn't even um, answer necessarily the question like he answered the other two questions. He just say, you know what, when you get to that point, well this is at least the way that I read it, when you get to this kind of questions... Uh, condemnation is just it's like you went so far in your questions now that you are drawing the line of blasphemy if you will you're you're drawing the line you're walking in a line a very dangerous line so i'm not even gonna give you an answer when you get to that point of thinking condemnation is just because you're too lost you're too far away if, if you realize he answered the other question he gave an actual answer but here he just say condemnation is just that's what he said and, um, and obviously he knew that people was asking this question. He said in there, uh, as some people slanderously charge us with saying. So this is not something that he's making up in his mind. People was asking this kind of questions. And, and not just then. We hear these kind of questions today. I know I have heard this kind of questions. Probably I asked these kind of questions in the past as well. So this is not something that was just happening in Paul's, uh, Paul's time only. Let's keep going. Verse 9, we're going to read a big chunk here from 9 to 18. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. this written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their path are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. <coughs> We're getting here now to <coughs> landing the, the plane, if you will. We already know that... Um, when, when we are talking about the, the, what is transcendental, what is important, there is absolutely no difference. We are all on the same page. We are all the same. We are all equal. We all need an exit to our problem, and we know that. Doesn't matter if you are a Jew. Doesn't matter if you are a Greek. Doesn't matter if you grow in the church or you grow up with two criminals on your house. Doesn't matter if you are uh, American or if you are a Chilean. Doesn't matter. Doesn't make absolutely no difference. We are all the same. We have all the same problem. We are all worthless. We have became worthless. That's what he's talking about in humanity. And this word worthless have the idea of when you leave a, f- a fruit or a veggie and you leave it there and it starts getting bad and rooting. And it get bad and now you got mosquitoes in there. And then get it, it's hard to look at it too. And if you leave it longer now it stink. And so all what is good is to pick it up and put it in the trash. That's what, it, that's, that's what it's good for. That's what the, the sense of this word, worthless. He's saying we have all became worthless. We're good for nothing. And that's, and that's hard to understand. We all stink. As human beings, we all stink because we have nothing good on us. Look at what it says. like no one does good, not even one. Wait a minute. Wait, my aunt is pretty good. She, she gives me money for ice cream all the time. My grandpa, he, he's a good person. He raised me up. And actually, actually, my grandpa did raise me up. Wait, I have a neighbor that he's a pretty good person. And he does good deeds. What are you What are you saying? That no one does good, not even one. What does that mean? I wanted you to listen to me because this is this is important. Sometimes we get confused. Good is only good if that act glorifies the Lord, because goodness. Come from God, not from another place. So you cannot do good if you don't glorify the Lord. And I'm going to read this because I don't want to up this. The word just means to do good. That's what I mean. To do good before the Lord, obviously. That's what we're talking about. Being just means to, uh, mean to, uh, to do good or to do right before the Lord. So if my good action glorify the Lord, is a good action. If my good action doesn't glorify the Lord, it's not a good action. It may look good but it's not good because it's not just because the only person that can make that action good and just is the Lord. And if I'm not in the Lord, I'm not glorifying the Lord. So my actions are not glorifying the Lord. And we can see this with the believers and with the unbelievers. Me as a believer, I can still do good things and do it for myself. I can be helping the ladies across the street so that people can see me hey look i'm helping a lady across the street am i glorifying the lord no oh it looked good it looked like a good action but i'm not glorifying the lord i'm just doing it for myself so it's very important that we understand that yes uh we can see good actions but if that action is not glorifying the lord it's not an action that is just because just is the, the fact of doing good before the lord I, hope, I really hope that I explain it. If not, just come to me. I have it written over here. I can write it for you. I can read it for you. Look at what Isaiah 64 says. Behold, you are angry and we sin. In our sins we have been a long time. And shall we be saved? He's wondering. We have all become like one who is unclean. <clears throat> and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. You see, when you are in sin... Well, you're away from God, all your righteous deeds, the good, the good thing that you think that you're doing, <clears throat> I'm sorry, they become a political garment. They're nothing. They're gross to God because you're not doing it for him. You're not doing it to glorify the Lord. And in verse 18, it says there is no fear of God. <clears throat> I'm moving forward a little bit. And um, this is not hard to see. We see the world today, and, and we know that there is no fear of God today. That's what the word it is the way it is. Because we are not taking God seriously. Because we are not taking his word seriously, his promises, what he said, his instructions. Let's keep moving. Verse 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The lie is there so that every mouth may be stopped. Basically, so nobody can say, "Hey, I did it. I can do it by myself." No, the lie is there so you just be quiet, like just like, but you better don't say anything. I don't know I, here. I'm, I'm assuming here too, but in Chile, in my country, they say you had the right to, what is it, be quiet or remain, remain silence. I think that's what they say. That's what the lie does. Pretty much, you better don't say nothing. Just, 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 just stop. Don't say nothing because. You're going to make it worse, pretty much. Verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward, as a propitiation by his blood to be received, uh, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. We'll stop right there. I love this part when we we just heard all the. The bad of humanity, right? We are all on the same roof, we are all messed up, doesn't matter if you're a Jew, doesn't matter if you are a Gentile, doesn't matter if you do good acts or not, if you doesn't matter. We are all in the same, we have all the same problem. But now, I love those parts in the Bible, but now something changed. Things are gonna change of direction now. But now what? But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. This is where now the good the good news come. The the good part of it. Now we understand that we have a problem, but now something else. This word apart, it means something else, separated. And this word or this concept of the righteousness of, of God is not his attribute only in himself, of who he is as himself, or the way that we understand righteousness. When I mean the righteousness of God, what it means is Jesus Christ. And we will see it through the whole text. That's what he's talking about, the righteousness of God. It refers to Jesus Christ. So we had the good news coming up, the the way out of our problem. For all have seen and fall sure of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift. We just read that. Uh, it wasn't my me trying too hard. It wasn't my own effort. It's a gift. See how it's getting good? You like you, you like gift? I know I like gift. It's getting good. This now that we have a gift. You guys are so messed up that I'm gonna give you a gift. That's pretty much what it's saying here. <clears throat> no, that's not what it's saying. But it's almost like it. Verse 24, the word uh, uh, grace um, is cherished And that's where we go get the word charity, okay, or kindness. We will use the word kindness more than charity. But the word grace comes from cherished and mean kindness. So if you think about it, this gift is given to you for charity, for compassion, for kindness. You didn't even deserve it. I didn't deserve anything. All what I deserve is death. All what I deserve is stay away from the Lord. But the Lord brings this righteousness, the righteousness of God, Jesus Christ, and he offered it now as a gift of kindness, of compassion. You didn't do absolutely nothing. I didn't do nothing. But he still offered this gift. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Because when we understand this kind of stuff, when we understand this concept our attitude should change. It cannot remain the same when you understand that what you are and the reason why you're sitting down right here and I'm over here and we come every Sunday and we can open this word and we can sing to the Lord and live in peace and feel his love. All that is because of a gift that we didn't deserve. And so when I understand that, I know that everything that comes after that, my family, uh, the provision that I have, everything comes from that gift. It's amazing. It changed the way that I think. I don't start asking for stuff anymore. Oh, Lord, why I don't have this? Why I don't have that? Thank you so much, Lord, because I can breathe. Because my bread on the table for my kids, for my health. Everything changed when you understand that that, but starting from there, everything is a gift. starting with you now being saved and having eternal life and being part of his kingdom. Everything that come after that. And what that should do, that should keep us always thankful. And with an unstopping praise and a stopping worship coming from our, from our mouth, as the Psalms suggest. And not just that, look at what the, the Lord does in verse 26 it was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, pay attention to this, because this is really cool. And I know that maybe you know it, but think about this. The only one who was just and righteous. The only one. There is absolutely no one else than him. He see ourselves. He see us down here. a messed up humanity. Sinful. That keep, We keep messing up. The only just see. And because he's just, he had to judge. He cannot just let it pass. Because he's just. He had to do it. So he see. And he say, I'm going to do justice. But I'm going to do it myself. Because he had to, does, he need to do the, the the judgment. I'm gonna take judgment over myself, so me uh, that I'm just, I can justify the unjust through me, and he they can be just or righteous if you want, if you wanna use that word. I know that I use the word just a lot, but the only one that was just bring justice over himself, so the unjust, the unrighteous can be now just just and righteous man i'm even getting confused with all the words but you see what he does and what part do you have uh part on it and what in what action he do you have part on it and absolutely no one i didn't have absolutely no part in what the lord did it was all him he saw us he took action because he's just he had to judge so he became himself the one that want to take all the punishment because he had to judge or the way he won't be just he does judgment on himself, and now I can be just through him. And he remain just. And I didn't do absolutely nothing. All what I do is just to be here and look how he's offered me now this gift of salvation and justification. We didn't do absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. This, this is amazing. This is our Lord. A Lord that loves you. A Lord that cares for you. And that he take care of that problem that we all have so you can be with him. And so you can enjoy his blessings. Let's keep going. 27 through 31. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works. By a law of works? No. By the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since God is one, who will justify? Who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Do we, uh, do we then overthrow the law by his faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. There is no boasting. It's as clear as we say. Uh, nobody can say, "I did it. I finally did it. I, I complete the whole form. I fill up the form, and I'm good to go now." Nobody can say that. Nobody can boast. Nobody can say, "Yes, I'm the best." Uh, nobody can do that. Uh, you can keep trying and trying and trying. And as I I, I heard somebody that say that in South in Southern California it used to be a game apparently across Carolina Island where the people will go to a cliff and they will jump into the water. And they will say, okay, who can make it all the way to Carolina? And they will jump, right? That was the game. You just jump in the cliff. You can keep jumping and trying to make it to Carolina and you can keep trying and trying and trying to make it to God. But the truth is that you you, oh, all you're going to do is you're going to get tired. You're going to jump and maybe you get a couple inches more than the guy behind you or the guy in front of you. But at the end of the day, everybody's going to get wet. It doesn't make there's no difference. You may get a little farther and farther, but you're going to go down. You're going to swim back, climb up, jump again, and try it again, and try it again, and try to make it to Carolina. But you're never going to make it. Never. The Lord is making it so much easier for us. It's a gift. Take it and leave it like it's a gift. If you already take that gift, think about it. I know that sometimes I forget that that was a gift. I know that sometimes I forget that everything that I have now, it was consequence of that gift. It's only by faith in the work of Christ that we can be good again with God. That he is the one that took care of that problem. Only him. We can do absolutely nothing about it. Oh what we can do? Let's keep trying and trying and trying. Like the song, you know? And I try and I try and I try. And I don't know how that song ends anyway, but Oh what I know is that I keep trying. But they didn't get nowhere. Um Did we finish the chapter? I think that we did. Well let me finish with this. Uh as I said before, if you already uh, already been justified by the Lord, and you, you got that gift, and you received that gift from the Lord, and you are here, and I and, and I know that some of I, I know some of your faces, and I just want to I just want to leave you with this: think about the gift. Is always good to go back to that? How merciful and how compassionate the Lord was with us. is we should not take that gift for granted. He changed our life completely. I know he changed mine for sure. I know where I was going. I know who I was. I was 16 years old when I received the Lord Jesus in my heart. And I know my life. And I, I extend my hand and I say, Lord, I want to follow you. This, this life that I was going, it's, it's, it wasn't good. And I know everything that happened after that. It was a blessing. It was amazing to have answers for my life. It was amazing to know where I was going now. And so if you already received the, that gift, think about that. Think about everything that you have after that gift as well. And if you don't, and if you haven't received that gift, this, is, this, this can change your life. And it's free. It's a gift. We like free stuff. Come on. Especially here in California. You like free stuff, right? I know I do. It's free. The Lord say, hey, I did everything so you can be close to me. So you keep trying and start getting tired. I just want you to be close to me. I want you to enjoy my blessings so it's right here. You All What you got to do is just to believe in what Jesus Christ did. He make you right before me if you believe in faith on him. That's all what you got to do. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord, for your gift. Thank you so much, Lord, for everything that you have done for us. We are thankful, Lord, for just being here right now, being able to hear your word and worship your name, a privilege that not everyone, everyone has. We are thankful, Lord, because we know that we didn't deserve any of this. We're thankful, Lord, because we know that everything that we got from you, it wasn't because we we earned it. It wasn't because we deserve it. It's just because you love us so much that you want us to be close to you. Lord, I pray that um, you can help us to understand this every day and live that way, and live in faith leave understanding who you are and who we are before you. Thank you so much for that gift. Thank you for that compassion, that kindness that you have for us to see us and help us and do everything that we need so we can be close to you now and enjoy you. Enjoy you, Lord. We praise you. We are thankful. And if you haven't, if you are here today and you haven't, Receive that gift. I I invite you to do it. What you got to do is just extend your hand and pray and tell the Lord, Lord, I believe what Jesus Christ did. I know that he paid the price. I know what I I deserve. And I know what I can get from you, Lord. And I want to take that gift. And I want to live with you. And I want to enjoy being with you. Forgive for my sin. Forgive my sins. Forgive everything that I had done. You know, the Lord said that when you do that, he's faithful to forgive your sins. And he will make you a new creature. He will make you a child of God. And now your life starts in a different direction. So I invite you to do that. Even right here on your home or wherever you, you decide to do it. But don't let it, don't let it rest in there. Take care of that. Take care of that. Just take, just take that gift. And if you do, please let us know. We want to rejoice with you. It's, it's amazing to know what the Lord does. And we want to rejoice with you. Thank you so much, Lord, for your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, keep praying for your pastor. Keep praying for your leaders. And I want to say this. We know who we are and we know what the people need. So what is a, what is it good that now we know the Lord? It's the same question that is in the Bible towards the Israel people. What is it good that I'm a Jew? What is it good that you're a child of God? You have the solution for their problem. And so I invite you to pray for someone this week, or maybe just more than one person. Maybe you already have somebody in mind. And bring the gospel to that person. That's what they need. We can go all over and try to answer those difficult questions that the Lord tells us to put attention on those questions, answer those questions. But ultimately what they need is the gospel. So I invite you that this week we can pray for someone and that we can share that beautiful news that, save us, amen so the Lord bless you